Welcome to episode 64 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Senior Editor of PharmExec Magazine and your podcast host. PharmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jack Qatar, President and CEO of Supernus Pharmaceuticals. Jack talks about his journey in growing Supernus Pharmaceuticals, which has included a focus on ADHD drug development. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Jack. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSerum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. I'll be interviewing Jack Qatar, president and CEO of Supernus Pharmaceuticals. Jack is here to talk about his experience bringing ADHD drugs to market in a challenging environment. Thanks for joining us today, Jack. Uh, my pleasure, and thanks uh, for having me. So Supernus was spun off from Shire in 2005. That must have been a difficult time to grow a business in light of the recession that soon followed. So how did you manage to keep your company afloat and persevere? Yeah, uh, when we separated from uh, Shire at the end of 2005, beginning of 2006, uh, we pretty much set out to build Supernus as a new pharmaceutical company with the vision of developing and marketing our own products for the treatment of CNS diseases, basically in neurology and psychiatry. And shortly after we started, the capital markets unfortunately collapsed, causing uh, you know the recession you're referring to and a complete shutdown in the availability of financing. And of course, as you know, our industry heavily depends on uh, significant use of capital to fund R&D and to eventually build the commercial capabilities that you need to market your products. So what we did first, and this is always very important in situations like this, is to make sure that our people know exactly the challenges and pretty much the dire conditions we're facing. We wanted to make sure they fully understand the situation and also make sure that, to invite them to be part of the solution by showing them that we actually need them. We need their input. We need their ideas. These are very important ideas to have from them. We can all work together to overcome these challenges. And then it, clearly we needed to be creative. We needed to come up with funding solutions uh, given that the capital markets are closed or shut down. So we had to... Um, at the end of the day, we ended up doing creative thing by selling the future royalties that we would have collected otherwise over time from our partners who are marketing products that we had developed for them over the years. And uh, we were able to secure enough money to allow us not only to survive and eventually go public in 2012, but also eventually become profitable in 2015. Thanks. I'm sure that information will come in handy to a lot of people in the coming months. So what was your entry into the ADHD space? Well, the first product we developed in ADHD was Adderall, which was given twice a day. And then we followed that by Adderall XR that only required one dose per day. 
And that is very important because it really made it so much easier for children and uh, parents because it eliminated the second dose that they normally used to have to take during the school day. So that was pretty much our first entry in the space. So your experience in ADHD drug development has spanned both stimulants such as Adderall and non-stimulants such as Intuniv and now SPN812. Could you talk a little about the differences between the two types of drugs and why it's important to invest in both? Yeah, we developed Adderall, Adderall XOR, Mydeus, which was another stimulant we also developed, and then Intuniv, as you pointed out, as a non-stimulant when we were part of Shire Pharmaceuticals. Uh, and then most recently, as Supernus, we developed SPNA12, which is a non-stimulant. So in total, we've developed about five ADHD products and have more than 20 years of experience in the space. And just to clarify, SPNA12 is not a product on the market. It's currently under review by the FDA. And if approved in November, hopefully we'll have the chance to introduce it to the marketplace. So regarding the difference between stimulants and non-stimulants, the first thing you have to look at is pretty much the mechanism of action of these drugs. They all work very differently in treating the symptoms of ADHD. And stimulants are fairly effective in treating ADHD, but they are also controlled substances and can be potentially abused and are typically associated with various side effects. On the other hand, non-stimulants are not controlled substances, and while the current non-stimulants can be effective, uh, although on one of them, for example, we hear that often it takes several weeks for the medication to make a difference and really to be effective in treating symptoms, uh, they also can have a variety of safety tolerability issues that patients and parents need to be aware of and that actually have limited so far their use in the marketplace. So when you look at the marketplace, you'll find out that non-stimulants represent only 10% of the marketplace. And I personally believe, and this is more, you know, from my perspective as a parent, actually, I mean, I believe every parent probably would prefer to give their child a non-stimulant or a non-controlled substance instead of a stimulant if they have that choice or if they have that option that can work well and that has a good safety and tolerability profile. And that's actually where we believe SPNA12, given all the data we've seen in our phase three program, and and that's really all that we have at this point that we can go by. That data bodes pretty well for the product in being effective. Uh, We've seen many signals that it can work actually as early as week one or week two, which is very important for parents because to wait for a non-stimulant for week one, two, three, four, or even five weeks for it to work, sometimes could feel like eternity. You know, when the kid is in school, is really challenged with the homework, report cards are not good, you get suspension letters. So four, five, six weeks is really a long time to wait for a medication to work, or even in the end, you could wait all this time and it doesn't even work. So we're very encouraged with the data we have on SPNA12, showing that it actually could kick in and work from week one or week two. Not only that, we've seen a very nice tolerability and safety profile uh, to the point actually when you look at our clinical data, the discontinuation uh, rate from because of side effects is only three, three and a half percent. So we hope that we can get the product approved and really uh, in the end offer patients another treatment options uh, that they can go by. Great, that's really encouraging. 
how do you see genetic testing and therapies affecting the ADHD space in coming years? We actually know that genetics play uh, a big role in ADHD, and that actually has been shown in various family, twin, or even adoption studies. Uh, we also know that the disorder uh, can be what we call polygenic, meaning you have multiple genes that are involved here in causing the disorder. In addition to that, we know that also environmental factors play a role in ADHD and how you treat ADHD. So ultimately, of course, the goal is always that you would hope at some point in the future you can rely completely on genetic testing and genetic treatment so you can match patients with the right medicine. So really more or less like precision medicine. But unfortunately, I mean, that point in time is, is fairly far out in the future. It's not anytime soon because that's not something that is that easily achievable at this point. Now, I feel like treating ADHD in kids can sometimes be like trying to hit a moving target as their brains are, and body chemistry are constantly evolving. I don't think it's uncommon to move through several drugs to find something that works. And then when you do, that may no longer be as effective after a while. So how does the ever-changing, growing brain play into drug development for ADHD? You're actually absolutely correct. I mean, th this is a challenge that we face not only in ADHD, we face it in general in a lot of diseases that involve mental health. And as you pointed out, as the child develops over the years, their condition changes. And that change could be brought on, you know, by many reasons. For example, it could be just because of their natural growth and development. It could also be because the child, as they grow and they become capable of developing coping mechanisms, uh, they start adjusting uh, to the environment. They are able to develop mechanisms that allow them to maybe self-control a little bit and self-regulate some of their behaviors. And then in the, on the environmental side, obviously, their situation changes as time goes on. When they're in elementary school, that's a different set of conditions than when they are in middle school. And then similarly, very different than when they are in high school. The social aspects of different stages in different schools, the academic demands on the child, and also eventually as they grow and even get into adulthood and they enter the workforce, uh, you have very different environmental or situational conditions that they have to cope with. So all these clearly present the challenge that you mentioned and that's why it even highlights more and more, you know, the thing I tried to talk about earlier, which is try to have as many treatment options as possible uh, for children, for adults, for adolescents, because of this exact issue. The, the disease changes over time, but so does the patient. And therefore, what worked for the child when they were, you know, six years old or seven year old and eight year old may not work for them when they're 12 and 13 or even when they are in college. And therefore the need for many, many treatment options that could actually tailor to the treatment that they need at different stages in their life. I think ADHD can be a complicated condition for people to understand. It manifests differently among kids, especially when it coexists with other conditions such as depression and anxiety. Unfortunately, many kids who suffer from ADHD seem to get a bad rep. Is Supernus doing anything to educate physicians, parents, educators, and the general public about it? Absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have tremendous experience in this space, 20 plus years. 
We've actually been very active in the last couple of years, also specifically with numerous programs and efforts that are tailored towards physicians, parents, patients, and educators. So we're trying to provide uh, numerous resources that can help them better understand the condition and eventually be able to treat that condition with the appropriate treatment option. So just give you an example, uh, we have a whole campaign that is called More to ADHD. So there is a website, More to ADHD, that provides full educational resources uh, pretty much surrounding all the complexities of ADHD. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with that condition when you're at home, when you're at school, in social settings? And uh, we have several educational resources, some that are digital, some are print. For example, we have a book with 50 facts about ADHD uh, and a series of booklets that really deal with multiple topics uh, around the disease. And uh, in addition to all that, we have a public service announcement campaign with three different organizations. Uh, these are more like patient type of organizations that support patients. Uh, for example, CHAD, which is Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, uh, ACO, which is the ADHD Coaches Organization, and then ADDA, which is Attention Deficit Disorder Association. So we're really trying to uh, spread awareness, provide resources through a variety of channels, websites, educational resources to allow you know, parents, providers, educators, and the patients themselves to fully understand the condition and better uh, be able to better cope with it and treat it. That's really great to hear. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for being with us today. We appreciate you sharing your insights about ADHD and how your company seems to be considering the condition from all angles. Thanks very much for having me um, and uh, clearly for giving me the opportunity to talk about such uh, an important condition that really impacts millions of patients. Thank you. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. TrueSterum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSterumNTWK.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, I'm Jack Qatar, President and CEO of Supernus Pharmaceuticals, and my leadership tip is fairly simple today. It is about putting people first in everything you do and every decision you make. To be a successful leader, you have to earn the trust and respect of your people. You're not their leader because you happen to have a title or occupy a position of high authority. You actually become their leader when they accept you as such. So always put your employees and your patients first. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at pharmexec.com, on Twitter at pharmexec, on Instagram at pharmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of pharmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. 
For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.